0: The information and opinions presented in this Arc Energy Ideas podcast are provided for informational purposes only and are subject to the disclaimer link in the show notes. This is the Arc Energy Ideas podcast with Peter Tertzakian and Jackie Forrest, exploring trends that influence the energy business. Welcome to the Arc Energy Ideas Podcast. It's March 9th. I'm Jackie Forrest.
1: And I'm Peter Trzakian. Welcome back. Well, there's been some dramatic news over the weekend, hasn't there?
0: Yeah, the oil price war is back on. It is
1: full on. The 2015-16 price war seemed to have subsided. There seemed to have been a truce with OPEC and OPEC Plus, which included the Russians. But that whole game changed over the weekend. Where were you?
0: Well, it was Saturday evening, kind of, uh, I was going out for dinner at a friend's house, and I saw it, and I'm like, I hope this was a joke. At first, yeah. I'm like, no, it looks like a real Bloomberg article. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I tweeted it out, and uh, I, saw I that. picked the wrong emoji. I, I yeah. saw that, too. I that thought, was, why is
1: Jackie laughing at the situation?
0: <laughs> so, I have to admit to everyone, if you follow me on Twitter, that... I've never used emojis before, and I just picked the one with the tears, uh, thinking I <laughs> was crying. Tears. <laughs> yeah, but then uh, my daughter's nine-year-old friend she informed me that you have to look at the mouth. If mm-hmm. there's a smile on the mouth, then that's the one you right. look at. Yeah, you should so, have picked the one with yeah. the,
1: uh, the, the ultra sad face. You know, with yeah. the curved upside down
0: mouth. Yeah, there were many suggestions mm-hmm. made of the proper emoji actually after that tweet. So, yeah. uh, but for everyone, for the record, I was putting wanting to cry. Like it's yeah. definitely bad news. And not news that we need here in Calgary and no, Western I Canada. Uh,
1: I don't even know what emoji to use this morning. I mean, here we are Monday the 9th. The stock market, as I watch it live here in the studio, is uh, hovering around twenty four thousand for the Dow, down from thirty thousand. I don't know, just a couple weeks ago. So basically, that's a twenty percent overall drop, down seven and a half percent just this morning. This is far bigger news than just the oil price. I mean, layered on top of that, of course, is the coronavirus situation, which continues to spread in the Western economies, including the United States. So there's concern on that, and. The necessity of an OPEC plus price cut was evident late last week. They got together, and the whole thing fell apart.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we talked about this before. That mm-hmm. at some point, you know, the market share of OPEC and Russia was going down at, at the yeah. and at the same time, the U.S. continued to grow. That they would question this strategy. It's just now doesn't seem like the ideal time when we're dealing with the major demand uncertainty that we Mm -hmm. have right now to throw this into the mix.
1: Well, actually, I would offer that from a Russian perspective. It is the ideal time, the time when your opponent, your nemesis, the United States, is weak. What we have is a situation where we have the coronavirus starting to creep into that economy. We have an oil and gas industry down there, particularly oil industry in the premium that's still leveraged. It has No access to the historic lifeline of equity capital because Wall Street has effectively shut off the capital to the oil and gas industry there, oh, even up to 18 months ago, certainly the last nine months. So when your opponent is down and you've got an axe to grind, it is the time to strike. I mean, it's classic. And I mean, I think the Russians legitimately, if I sort of take their position, say, well, why would I continue to shore up prices for the benefit of the Texas Permian oil and gas industry.
0: Mm-hmm. In other regions of the world. and like other Canada, regions of the world. Norway why, yeah, why, that are growing. Nor- yep. Why
1: would I carry their baggage, especially if my costs are pretty low?
0: Yeah. This is very different than five years ago when the OPEC took a similar strategy. Back then, Russia wasn't part of the group yet. Mm-hmm. And they took the strategy to not balance the market. Why? Because... Back then in 15 and 16, as you say, like there was a real belief in a V-shaped recovery or a U-shaped recovery right. or W or whatever the letter you chose. And there was a lot of money raised in the public markets to help producers get through the low prices. There and was. As I said, that's, that's totally that's, changed. That's totally yep. changed. I
1: mean, not only did they have the lifeline of the equity markets, as I mentioned earlier, they also still had a fairly robust debt market that they could tap into. And what's happening now in the markets and why... The oil market is effectively cascading like dominoes into the broader market, is because of the credit risk issues. So no equity, repricing of debt. In fact, uh, there could be significant debt defaults on some of those big bond issues that were done only a couple months ago by some of the U.S. players at very high interest rates. So you know, this is, uh, as I said, from a Russian perspective, it's an opportune moment. But then the Saudis got upset by the whole thing and said, "Okay, just watch me." And so now it's a a three-way price war between the Russians, the Americans, and the Saudis, which are the three biggest producers in the world, and they're going to do some serious damage to the rest of the producing world.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and today, the price of oil hit, came down to near $30, mm-hmm. which I don't think is an unrealistic level considering the oversupply, and we'll right. get to that in a yeah. bit. But I do want to say one other thing that makes this very different than five years ago is back in 2015-16, there was a lot of conviction in demand, right? People had a good sense of where demand was going, had a good sense of what level yeah. of oversupply we had. It wasn't a matter of guessing that. It was just, you know, how long would Saudi continue with this program, right? Here, we have a lot of uncertainty around demand and you can see that from the IEA, right. who just released their closely watched oil market report this morning and they put three scenarios of what demand will be in 2020 that just gives you an idea of how uncertain well, of the it is they, yeah. they generally just give one yeah right yeah
1: and I know you and I were relatively confident at the beginning of the year that it, you know we would see 50 to 60 dollars a barrel you have to be a medic and you have to understand the politics and the geopolitics of the world which is very uncertain and difficult to do so we're here
0: Here we are. Yeah, coronavirus is really a black swan event, right? So yeah, we definitely had a
1: purple swan event.
0: Really, what's that mean?
1: It means it's even more than a black swan.
0: Okay, and when you get two of them in a row, what does that mean? I feel like this plus the OPEC decision is pack up
1: and go to your basement. I don't know.
0: (laughs) The coronavirus maybe you know has caused a set of events that has led us to where we are today, as you say, because this is an opportunity. To sure. make this price war happen now because with the backdrop of uncertain demand, it makes it even more painful yeah, I, than I, it was I, in fifteen sixteen.
1: 16. I totally agree. And I, I, I would even go further and say I think that the breakdown of OPEC plus was inevitable, certainly in hindsight, because at some point the Russians were going to say like, why am I cutting just to allow an American producer to get more market share?
0: Yeah. And we did talk about that many times on the podcast, right? Mm -hmm. At some point, the idea of cutting your market share to prop up price is not going, the math's not going to work if you have to cut your production too much. Unfortunately, they chose it now. Now, just to give you some idea of how big the demand destruction might have been in Q1, the IEA's report said they expect 2.5 million barrels a day was lost in Q1. Like that is just huge amount of demand loss, mm-hmm. bigger than any of the quarters in the financial crisis for one particular quarter. Right. Uh, so that's the first time we've kind of seen data from the IA. Now, they're still estimating, right? We're still in the first quarter. Now, they think there's going to be some sort of rebound in Q2 where it goes to uh, zero demand growth relative to the same time last year. I don't know. I think probably we're going to see more demand loss in Q2, not maybe as extreme as we saw in Q1, but yeah, we'll, we'll see something I things.
1: think this is probably going to drag well into late Q2. I mean, we're sort of seeing the life cycle of this virus in places that are aggressively fighting the virus, like China and Italy, Iran, that, okay, you, you don't, and Korea, South Korea, that you don't get a leveling off of the incidents until a couple months. Mm-hmm. And well, and so then it's just stopping North, travel, yeah, right? Yeah. And here we are so. in North America, we're just starting to ramp up. So you're looking well into Q2. I think before that we have some visibility onto when this thing is going to become a little more manageable. I guess
0: is the word. Mm -hmm. Now, so demand's a little hard to pin down here. Mm -hmm. I do think the IA number was was not maybe as big as what we probably will see in Q two. Now, on the supply side, we do have some information if we assume Saudi increases from about 9.3 million barrels a day now to 10.5 million barrels a day, and we assume the others increase maybe about half of their pre-cut levels, because I'm not sure all of them really can get back up to their pre-cut levels, at least immediately. We'd be talking about a million more barrels a day of supply coming onto the market over the previous quarter. So it just basically
1: completely escalates the glut, and that's why the price is going down, and there are scenarios under which it can go even lower than $30.
0: Right. Well, I mean, this... Imbalance. So if you look at the historical oil market imbalances, they're relatively small, even during the 2015-16 price war, or even during the financial crisis, mm-hmm. compared to what we have in Q1 and we potentially could have in Q2. So we got a very big potential oversupply. And, of course, we're uncertain about it as well, right? right. So I think you're right. There could be some concerns there. The other issue is storage. Storage levels are actually internationally quite high quite high and they since they're already elevated if if these numbers are right and the level of oversupply mm-hmm. is what you know in that range of two or three million barrels a day each day you could actually have storage levels hitting the highest levels they ever have in a few months mm-hmm. and and that could bring some additional downside too
1: but having said that I mean price has a draconian way of cutting supply right and if it's at 30 35 dollars I mean we're mm-hmm. going to start to see some declines in production certainly drilling is going to dry up
0: Let's talk about, first of all, the oil price, $30 in early trading. That's at WTI. Mm. Down from 45 on Friday. So let's put that into Canada. Because in Canada, we have these huge price differentials, which make it even more difficult for our producers when we get into these price levels. So if we take $32 a barrel and we take a $14 price differential for heavy crude, which is kind of the level right now, that means you're only getting $17 a barrel for your heavy oil in Western Canada right now. And uh, that is equivalent to the worst month of the worst, the end of 2018, November of 2018, that's when the we price average 18.
1: The big differential yeah. blowouts, where the Notley government at the time instituted the curtailment policies. Yeah.
0: That, well, it took them until the end of the quarter and yeah. then they started them in January. But in that period of Q4, we did see heavy oil producers shut in some of their production. Mm-hmm. So that's where we are today. We're back to the level that we saw, the worst month in mm-hmm. in the last quarter of the I, w- I would
1: point out, though, that this is not a Canadian only story. I right. mean this is something that is going to ripple through every oil producing jurisdiction in the world and there are many high cost producers around the world certainly producers that do not have as low a cost structure as the Saudis and the Russians
0: for sure we're going to see declines because of this and you're right like these are very low prices yeah. to put it in perspective for light oil because there's only about a $4 price differential right now versus Mm -hmm. WTI, their prices are near 28, which is actually very close to November as well. So here we are back to some very low prices in Canada, but this is what was unique back then. It was only Canada, uh, and here we've got it um, for everyone.
1: But we can't generalize on all Canadian oil companies. I mean, there's a huge variation in the cost structure of these companies, variation in how they access the markets and the netbacks that they get. So the ability to withstand low prices varies quite a bit from company to company.
0: Uh, yeah, I would agree. And it especially depends on their debt levels as well and mm-hmm. how much uh, debt they have and how much they have to pay for that debt right. as well. So there's all these different variables. So I think right now at the prices we are, there are definitely a lot of companies that are not having any free cash flow. So the money they're making from selling their products is needed all to pay for their operating costs, G and A, and other expenses that and they their have. Debt and they're debt, and they don't actually have another dollar to go to capital spending at if these prices stay at this level. Mm-hmm. But there are other companies that do have some surplus cash flow at these prices.
1: They do, yeah. they do. Uh, but not a lot, not enough to really give comfort to the service sector.
0: Yeah, but, and so let's talk about the service uh-huh. sector. So, to put it in perspective, 2019, just for a reminder, the industry spent about $35 billion and drilled about 48 or 4,900 wells. So, that is when we had prices that averaged about $57 a barrel uh, US at WTI. Mm -hmm. So now here we're sitting at $30 a barrel WTI. So we're expecting to see if these prices stick around in this range, and even if they recover in the second half, which I think they will, because Mm -hmm. I think we'll see supply start to pull back and more certainty around demand. The
1: the price signal will do its job of shut-ins, declines, etc. by the second half. But more importantly, there will be a capitulation I mean, there are four phases to a price war. And we talked about this last time we had the price war in 15 and 16. The first phase is declaring the price war and the chaos and the disruption that it causes. The second phase is what's called market death, which is not a pleasant term. But this is when companies that are too high cost, too over levered, basically fall off the map for good. Then at some point there is capitulation because neither the Saudis nor the Russians can really – afford to endure for long periods of time, even though they say they can. Certainly, the Saudis have social costs to cover, Mm -hmm. and there's many other considerations. So, at some point, the price of oil has to percolate back up. Some sense of discipline will be reinstituted. I'm not sure it's going to be an OPEC plus kind of scenario, but I do think that there will be restraint in terms of outright flooding the market, much as the Saudis declared they were going to do over the weekend.
0: Mm -hmm. So you're saying at some point, like maybe in the second half of this year, we see that and we see that prices recover. But the interesting thing, if you think about Q4 of 2018, when we got into the price levels Mm -hmm. that we are today, companies just clamped up their wallets. And and there was basically a period of of indecision and not spending. So I do think it's, even if we see that recovery in the second half, it's going to materially change the amount of investment that happens in 2020.
1: By the way, the good news is five years on four and a half and four, four or five years on, the industry today here in Canada is much more battle hardened. There have been a lot of improvement in our cost structure and our ability to withstand this kind of thing compared to back then. Now, you know, $30 is pretty low, especially after you take away all the considerations that you spoke about in terms of the differentials, but we are in better shape to be able to deal with this. On average, mm-hmm. as we go as we go forward, but there I, you know I want to get back to this capitulation thing because in many ways, I think the Saudis over the weekend, after learning that the Russians were not going to stay in the plus, are opening the taps full open as a signal even to the Russians and to others, okay, if you don't play ball, like this is what's going to happen. So in some ways, I think the Saudis are trying to push a fast capitulation. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's guaranteed, but they're trying to push a faster capitulation.
0: By flooding the market, the price goes lower, and, and it gets resolved in a shorter, yeah, it shorter time. Faster, yeah, gets resolved faster, yeah. Now, you say that the Canadian producers are more resilient uh, because of everything we've been through in the last five years. But on the downside, there are some ones that are weary, right? They've been oh, weakened by the absolutely. last five years. They yeah, have that, high debt levels and uh, lack high costs, any access to costs.
1: They have not been able to improve their market access, innovate, all these sorts of things. I call these the pre-existing conditions in the parlance of the coronavirus.
0: Yeah, From you don't want to get yeah, it with the pre-existing conditions. Yeah,
1: you know, that, that just means that they are much more vulnerable to the contagion of this price war. And there's no doubt that not only here, United States, but also elsewhere in the world, this is going to take out some players. And that's exactly what the Russians want. That's exactly what the Saudis want, because they feel... I think correctly from their perspective that why am I having to curtail to allow all these other companies and all these other producers in other countries exist?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and I think they may want to see that there's some response in U.S. oil supply before that, (laughs) before they agree to that. And so, you know, I went back and looked at 2015 – and it was interesting, from the time that oil prices started to drop from about $60 and then they kind of bottomed out at $30, yeah. we saw uh, about a halving of the U.S. rig count. But it was about three months from when that fall started before we actually saw production decline. There's always a lag. There's yeah. always
1: a lag. You know, the, the, first of all, the spending decisions get cut. I think that's going to happen pretty quickly. The rigs go home. As you said, they were cut in the the amount of drilling was cut in half. And then there's a, just sort of this natural decline that has to take shape. And, yeah, that's probably three three months you start mm-hmm. to see it. By six months, it's starting to come down fairly significantly, as we saw, I think, what was it, late 16, early 17? Yeah, 17. there was
0: about a million barrel a day drop over about mm-hmm. the course of a year in that period. Now, right. things have changed. First of all, U.S. oil production was around 9 million barrels a day then, and now mm-hmm. it's closer to 13. And also the backdrop decline rate has right. grown because we have more of the supply dependent on these – Right. Tight oil wells that have high decline rates. So I think in in a six month period potentially you could see what occurred over a year back then. Yeah. Uh, but it would if they're looking for a big drop or some sort of supply response from the U.S. as as part of ending this price war, it could take a good part of 2020 to really see a substantial decline.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that uh, this means that companies have to be able to withstand six months of pain again, unfortunately, and then it's after that it's going to take some time to get strong again. I mean, you know, the the, the metaphors to the whole coronavirus are very apt. Unhealthy companies with these pre-existing conditions are probably not going to make it. Uh, Those ones that are healthy and energetic, I think they'll be fine. So the whole thing is that adage, what is it? Live long by not dying. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's macabre. But that's uh, that's the hard reality of what's going on right now, and there's a lot of geopolitics. One of the things that we should remind ourselves is that geopolitics seem to have been forgotten over the course of the last five ten years, as a consequence of the rise in the shale production. Thinking, oh well, you know, geopolitics don't exist anymore because we have so much oil here in North America. This is a stark reminder that geopolitics is back in a big way. And we should not also be surprised because this rivalry between the Americans, the Russians, and the Middle Eastern regions goes back well over 100 years this is nothing new.
0: Well, it's funny. We usually talk about geopolitics in a way that it can increase oil price, but you're seeing geopolitics play out in a way that it's decreasing price because Russia is using the price war, maybe not only to regain market share, but also assault the U.S. economy.
1: Absolutely. This is an assault on the U.S. economy by virtue of, through the oil industry, the credit markets, and then the broader economy.
0: Mm -hmm. And the hope of materially downsizing mm-hmm. the size of that industry right. and being able to get back their market yeah. share.
1: Now, we'll see what happens and how long the Saudis will contribute to all of this. The Saudis and the Americans do have a more cordial relationships than the Russians and the Americans do. So, we'll see how it all plays out.
0: Yeah, we see it. You know, I think one thing is Q2 will be a difficult quarter. 2020 will be a difficult year. I always like to end on positives, but well, I, I thought, of a, yeah, few, let's do I thought it. of a few, let's I thought of a few. one thing I thought of was... Well,
1: you need to know the emoji though.
0: Oh yeah. I need to have a, uh, a smiley emoji. I don't want to no, be that okay. positive. Right. But basically I was thinking about the fact that we're still the fourth largest producer of oil and gas in the world. 15 BCF per day of gas, 4.8 million barrels a day of oil. And we spend a significant amount of money just operating and bringing those barrels to the market as well as the gas to the market, about $47 billion annually that is spent. And the prices today are at the level that it can afford people to continue mm-hmm. to spend most of that. I'm sure there'll be lots of work done to bring that down as far as possible, but yeah. we'll probably see the vast majority of that. And a lot of Albertans work today because of that operating cost spending. Right. You know, So we're talking about capital spending being cut, which was about $35 billion of spending in 2019. I think that will be cut, but that, just remember that that operating cost is actually a much bigger number. So, for those folks involved in new capital programs, there'll be a slowdown in activity. For those in the operating jobs, and I think a lot of the people that work in the Mm -hmm. office towers in Calgary are more related to the operating jobs, and there's a lot of field jobs associated with that. Those ones, I think, are going to be quite resilient through a cycle like this.
1: Mm -hmm. So, why don't we wrap up with what are you watching over the next few weeks?
0: Well, there'll be lots of signposts to watch. I think the big ones will, first of all, be oil price floor. It's near $30 right now. If we look back in 2015-16 and even back to the financial crisis, there wasn't really a quarter where prices averaged below $30 a barrel. So, you know, will it go below that? We definitely had periods where the daily price was lower. uh, But, you know, is that going to be the floor? Based on history, it would say maybe it is. But there's lots of things that make this unique for sure.
1: It it is. And I just want to remind our audience that sometimes there is confusion in the idea that, okay, the Saudis can make money at uh, $20 because their lifting costs are so low. Therefore, the oil price sh- should be at equilibrium at $20. That's not the way it works. The Equilibrium occurs at the highest cost producer of the last barrel demanded. In other words, it's called the, the marginal cost is equal to the price. That is much higher. In other words, there are other producers in the world that just can't cut it. The bulk of the producers in the world cannot survive at a $20 or $30 Mm -hmm. barrel of oil. And in a free market sense, ultimately, it has to percolate up to the level that's much higher than the current mm-hmm.
0: one. And historical su- uh, oversupplies have taught us that we got to 26 or $27 both the financial crisis and the 2015 period, 2016 period, and it uh, didn't stay down there for long and it averaged 30 So we'll see what happens there. I know there's yeah. por- forecasts out there for even lower prices than 30 Yeah. Obviously we got to watch this coronavirus. Are we going to start to see more outbreaks in the U.S.? U.S. is a very important market. It's you a know, 20 million barrel a day oil demand market. If we start to see economic activity slow down there, mm-hmm. then we're going to expect much bigger demand drops than we're factoring yeah, in and right And how now.
1: they react to it, how they react to it is going to be really important to watch over the next week or two.
0: Yeah. So continue to watch that. Uh, the other thing I'm going to be watching for, and I don't think it's going to happen this week, but I think over the next two, three weeks, we might start to see guidance from companies here in Canada mm-hmm. in terms of what they're planning to do around CapEx. And yeah. I, I expect they'll start cutting some yeah. of their plans.
1: Yeah. No, there's a lot of turmoil around We've seen it before. The financial crisis was the last time we've seen anything this severe, but uh, I've certainly witnessed more in my long career. These things do eventually resolve themselves, but living through them is rather anxious and painful. So we shall stay tuned and hope that our listeners come back as we continue to discuss these critical issues.
0: Good. Thanks for joining our podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell someone else about it and rate us on the app that you listen to. For more ideas and insights, visit arcenergyinstitute.com.